Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nancy. Thanks. I'm Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, how much time do I have total? Because I want to try and cut time myself as well. Um, well, it's, it's till 6.10. I'll give you the sign for 10 minutes and then 6.20 it ends. And you can stop and ask So is the total amount like 30 minutes then? Okay. All right. Okay. Um, well, it seemed like a lot of, a lot, 40 minutes? Whoa, okay. <laughs> I'm not planning on 40 minutes. That's a long time. Um, so my name's Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, hi. I've been coming to OA for about 36 years. Um, started when I was in college. Um, I was about 21. Now I'm 58. So I've had a lot of my life in the program. And I think... Ultimately, what I'm hoping to share is some recovery that I can be of hope to anybody that might be struggling with food, you know, at this time. So I'm going to try and do the traditional, you know, what it was like, what happened, what I'm like now. So what it was like was um, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. And, you know, we all say we grew up in a dysfunctional family because nobody's perfect. Parents aren't perfect. There's going to be some dysfunction. But I learned... um, I learned through outside help that the dysfunction that I grew up in was more than average dysfunction. And that dysfunction really led to me needing to use food to over to, to soothe myself. So the kind of family that I grew up in was um, my dad uh, was diagnosed with bipolar disease, but he denied it. Um, my dad had very bad boundaries. And this is what really affected me, I think, the most of everything in my life. Um, He would, and he had an eating disorder in terms of anorexia and compulsive eating that he never was treated or anything like that. Um, But his boundary thing was like, when I was, you know, in elementary school or whatever, he was, he would write, he wrote poetry. He was a dentist, but he wrote poetry. And his poetry was actually a lot of erotic poetry, and he would read his poetry to me. And my, then my mom and dad were still together. Um, but I had no way of escaping from that. You know, I felt like, in retrospect, I could see, you know, I was a victim. I was victimized. There was no way that I could get out of that house. You know, I was, whatever, in elementary school, I couldn't leave. So I had to figure out, or not even figure out, Something had to help me survive in that house. Okay, my mom was very critical and very judgmental. And um, her mother had said to her, you know, directly to her face, there's something radically wrong with you. So, you know, what kind of esteem does that build in a person, right? So she took that, those messages and her, her woundings and, you know, put it on me. So my weight became an issue in the family for, for a while. 
and there were always schemes about how could Nancy lose some weight. And I was really never that overweight. But, you know, some of the things that happened were, um, well, I'll tell you some of the things that I did and some of the things that kind of came out of that, too. So one of the things I like to talk about is um, when I was in elementary school, I was a helper for the younger grades. So I would go down and help the younger kids, you know, after their lunch, throw, bring their trays, their cafeteria trays to the garbage and toss them. So I can always remember Wednesdays were brownies and grilled cheese day. And that was like, yeah, that was good for me. <laughs> what I did with that was, you know, whatever brownies were left on the trays or whatever brownies were partially eaten on the trays, I would just take. I'd take and keep them with me. I, you know, I stole money from my mom's purse so I could buy these uh, extra Oreos going through the um, cafeteria line. It was a, I remember it was a pack of four. And, uh, you know, I, I'd eat those. Um, I'd take money. I'd buy um, at the, uh, the what does it call it, the, the, can, the, the candy man that drives around, ice cream man, the ice cream man, <laughs> you know, and I'd stop and I'd, I'd get some of that um, on the way home. I'd ride my bicycle to the, um, the liquor store, uh, buy, you know, food, bring it back. And I remember specifically one time I bought this, you know, it was a pack. It was, they were the, the big Three Musketeers. So I bought a pack of six, came home, ate, you know, maybe three or so, you know, felt sick and uh, put them in the trash, you know. And then when I was feeling a bit better, then I just took them out again and started eating them. Um, the other thing was, you know, when I was growing up, about the same time, my parents decided they wanted to weigh me once a week. And I found out later, it was actually my dad's idea, but my mom was the one who carried it out. So we'd go to dinner. It was me, my mom, and my brother once a week, same place. And after dinner, you know, I'd say, okay, um, you know, I'll meet you at home. I'm going to jog home. It wasn't that far from where we lived. So I'd run home, and I'd be thinking, you know, as I'm running, God, don't let me gain a pound. You know, don't let me gain a pound. And it's like, like, what is going on in a little kid, you know, eight, nine years old or whatever, that is like so afraid of what's going to happen if they gained a pound? I don't know what would have happened, but it was terrifying, really. Such really conditional, you know, love and, and, and just really, really difficult. So... Moving on, you know, to junior high school, I, you know, I've been a compulsive overeater since I was about eight. That's what I remember, eight until when I stopped, you know, binging after I got into the program when I was about 21. Um, I would, at, you know, nutrition time, go and get the, I'd have breakfast in the morning, but I'd get the money, I'd stand in line, I'd get like a big cinnamon, you know, roll or something and eat that. Um, you know, junior high, it was, everything was painful. You know, in high school, um, I played sports. Um, I, you know, we'd have our dinner on Friday night, and then it was, you know, football and pizza at night, like 11 o'clock or whatever, and just go out and eat again. You know, this was just what I did. You know, just what I did. When I got to college, you know, I was still using food. Um, but things got to be a little bit different. I, I was having probably more pain from, from compulsively overeating. I was at school in Santa Barbara, and called my mom a lot, and, you know, she said at one point, you know, well, you know, do you want to come home? And I was like, no, I'm not coming home. You know, I stayed there and, you know, continued to do my eating. Um, 
you know, I would just have food with me all the time. If I was studying, I'd have to go and get food and bring it into the, to the library to, to eat and study and that sort of thing. Um, but, but what started happening was it was getting more and more painful. And I was working at McDonald's. And I got to, you know, you know, if I was working the late shift, it's like, well, if somebody came in at the end, you know, we'd have to make the food for them. So, you know, if they were coming or not, I was making the new batch of French fries so I could have that, you know, at, at late at night. You know, I also learned how to, you know, make the best, you know, hot fudge sundae with extra fudge and this and that, and just, just exactly the way I wanted it, you know, and it was, you know, bad. So... Partly, like, what happened towards the end of that time was I remember, you know, going there, a uh, late-night drive-through, you know, ordering, you know, you know, all the food, you know, more than I needed. You know, I'm not going to name everything I ordered. But I, I got it, and I remember driving back to my dorm. There was, like, uh, an overpass. And I was driving, you know, on the overpass, and... Um, it was like this horrible feeling of the food, you know, it wasn't really taking care of what I needed to take care of. It was not working anymore. And it was just a horrible emotional place and physical place. I felt like my stomach was distended and it was painful. And, um, and that's what it was, you know. I stole, you know, I, I, I guess I did a lot of stuff in, with food, you know, with studying and all that. So... What happened, um, sort of, before, right before I got into the program, was I um, I woke up one morning, and this, I was in my senior year of school. I guess probably about 21. And you know, all of this time, there was so much. You know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna diet. I tried different diet things and all that. Um, but this morning, I woke up and I just felt like I don't. I don't want to live anymore. You know, it was just so painful. I didn't have plans. Like, I wasn't making a suicide, you know, plan to do. But, you know, internally, at, at 21, I'm feeling like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's too much time ahead of me. It was like a burden, knowing that I had the rest of my life ahead of me, and I'm having all these problems. I mean, that was, it was horrible. So, um, so that happened for me right before... I got into program, and I got into program by a friend um, who just mentioned it to me, and so I thought, okay, I'll go, so I went, and I remember at my first meeting that I had hope, like, it didn't matter that I was still using food, but I had hope, and I knew that there would be a way that I could stop, or that this would stop, because I saw it had stopped in other people. And a guy came up to me and said, you know, this might sound like a cult, but it's not. <laughs> and I was like, okay, good, because if I had heard all this stuff about God, you know, at my first meeting, I would have been turned off. You know, I would have been turned off. So it was good that he said that. And then we had the meeting, and, you know, I was blown away because people were talking. The leader was talking about eating loaves of bread, and I couldn't believe that anybody would be talking out loud, you know, about what they were eating. That was just, uh, you know, really amazing to me. And then, you know, at the end, we, um, we got up and we held hands. 
and it's so funny because now on Zoom, it's like these people that come in not having been in person don't know a lot of the things that we actually did, you know. I would say as an aside, when I go to some of these Zoom meetings and people are sharing, some people clap, you know, and I'm thinking, these, these are the people that have the remnants of being in the rooms. Like, you, you clap when somebody, you know, has shared, and, you know, people that just come in don't know that. They don't get, you know, some of that. So, anyway, this first meeting, um, we held hands, I don't know, said some prayer, and I just really felt that hope. And so, as the program went on for me, I didn't get abstinent right away. Um, I asked someone to be my sponsor who had six months of uh, absence. So I came into, into program in Santa Barbara. The program's not as big as it is here. And in fact, we used to have a guest speaker from the LA meetings come up and speak at our big meeting on Friday, which was probably about 20 people. So I met uh, a woman who was, had, been so, had been abstinent for six months, which was unbelievable to me. And I asked her to sponsor me. So we started working together, and then her brother died in a car accident, and she lost her abstinence. And uh, at about similar time to that, uh, I moved up north, and I was planning to be in a graduate program, but I was on the waiting list, and nobody dropped out. And so I moved up there, and I had been in program, you know, solidly for a year. Um, you know, when I came in, I couldn't stop compulsively overeating. Um, I needed to be at a meeting every day. So I went to a meeting almost every day for my first year and a half in program because I could not go a day without um, the program, without, you know, eating. So I moved up there, and I asked someone to be my sponsor, and she said, uh, uh, if you want what I have, you do what I do. So I thought, okay, I was an impressionable young person, and I was going to do that. So her abstinence was uh, no sugar and no white flour. And for me, it's mostly no, like, recreational sugar. Like, I eat sugar that's in ketchup. I mean, those kinds of things. But I don't eat, you know, sugar, like, recreational, like, desserts. So I did that. And I wound up getting sick I, from just the stress of everything. Like, I lost my period for nine months. Um, just a lot of stuff. And I got sick. And then I had to, I moved back home to, to the San Fernando Valley. So um, I sort of recuperated there from my illness. I lived with my parents for a while. And then I met, I went to some meetings, and I, I met a woman who was to become my sponsor, who was basically my first sort of long-term sponsor that I had for about 10 years. And she was amazing. She taught me so many things. Um, we eventually parted ways. We had, you know... Uh, Sponsorship is a funny tool. I mean, you know, we're, I've heard people say you know, in the program, we're like the sick leading the sick. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I try to take that with a grain of salt. Um, and, um, you know, we parted our ways. Um, and I had another point. Another point, I had another sponsor for 13 years who then dropped me because so she wouldn't tell me why. Um, and that was really painful for me. Um, I had put a lot of um, a lot of faith and effort, I think, into the sponsor in this relationship. And you know, as I've come to see now over the years, I, I'm not sure if I gave all my little qualification things, um, but you know, and I've learned now that that the recovery, and it talks about you know in the big book that 
the purpose is to find a higher power, you know, that will help us with our problem. And people in the program, the fellowship is so important. It is so important. But no one person is God. No sponsor is God. You know, none of that. Um, so, um, I don't know, eventually, um, I met, I met the next sponsor that I had, and, um, she, she was a big book person, and by this time, I had already been in program for quite a while, and uh, I wanted to, to go through the big book again. I've done the steps, I've done the steps in a a year-long workshop, I've done steps with different sponsors, you know, I've done the steps, um, and, you know, what I'm finding is that, um, you know, my life today, I feel like I wanted to spend at least 10 minutes on each section, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So the what happened part, I think I've, I've kind of talked about, about some of that. Um, so what, you know, what it's like today is I asked a person to sponsor me that I didn't really know that well, but I'd kind of seen it in meetings. I kind of liked what she had to say. And um, so we started working together. Uh, we, I wanted to go through the big book, so we, we went through the big book together. And, you know, I had been in program already. I'd been in program 36 years. Um, I, I don't usually really claim any number of days or years of abstinence because at one point in my program, I had been abstinent for a while, and then I lost my abstinence. And I lost it because... I thought that I was spiritually spiritually fit and that I could eat anything because I was spiritually fit. So it started out with, uh, you know, I had, you know, a, a, a cookie and that was fine. But slowly, like over time, it, it just got out of control. And it was hard to, to get back to being abstinent. You know, and I've heard people say, you know, it's a lot easier staying abstinent than getting abstinent. So, um I don't know what my train of thought was with that, but, um, you know, nowadays, so I was going to say, I don't count my time. And part of the reason I don't count it is because when I lost it, I had so much shame and humiliation that I could not say that I broke my abstinence. In OA, I could not say that. So I stopped counting. And I just, you know, days piled on, days piled on. And so now I'm somewhere probably over 25 years of abstinence in the way that I define it. And it's something that changes over time. It's not stayed the same. Um, I probably lost about 40 pounds, um, and it wasn't intentional, really. I mean, I, when I came in, I was battling, you know, some of that weight. But it was really, like, my head was so crazy. I just couldn't take it. And I just wanted the sanity. I really wanted the sanity. I'm not sure if I ever came for the vanity. I knew I needed the sanity. And, you know, part of it was like, at some point, I was even like, okay, God, you know, if I have to be this weight, and it wasn't super, super heavy, but if I have to be this weight, okay. I just let me do what I need to do to get my head straight. So, um, so, so I stayed, and, you know, it's like been little bit by little bit that I've, I've gotten recovery. And I'm really in a blessed state these days, and I really, 
you know, like to share that um, I'm not compulsively overeating. I'm not obsessed with food. What I'm obsessed with is, like, I like having my meals. You know, my meals are really important to me. And I make time to sit down and I have my meals with God or with myself or, you know, whatever that is. And I enjoy them. And I have snacks. Sometimes, not always, but whatever I need. I try to listen to my body a little bit more than I used to. So, um... So, so things are different now. Another thing I wanted to say about this abstinence thing was when I broke my abstinence and I had so much shame and humiliation about that, um, I thought that I am only worthy if I'm abstinent. Like people will only like, like me in the program or something like that you know, if I'm abstinent. And I got to the point, I mean, it's like, who would want to kill themselves because they weren't abstinent? It wasn't that I hated my life, it was that I wasn't abstinent, which was embarrassing. Um, so I'd stop counting, and things, you know, things just piled on, they got better and better. Um, so, today, um, today I live differently. I'm different. I do believe that I've had that psychic change that the big book talks about. Um, and how do I do it, or what do I do, or what is it like? Um, you know, basically, I, I think I'm at a point now where I really want to do God's will. I really want my life to be based in a spiritual foundation. So I do a lot to help that along. Um, I want to say about I'm going to kind of going back and forth because different things are kind of coming into my mind but um, you know when I got abstinent either the first time or, or the, uh, another time you know it really was like I, I really thought that I wanted to be abstinent but I couldn't and you know eventually what happened was the eating that I was doing it really was becoming much more painful than the feelings that I was trying to avoid. And, um, you know, I hear so many people, you know, talk about the gift of desperation. Like, I don't know if I could have just stopped compulsively overeating because I wanted to. You know, somehow it was almost like God or, you know, whatever this is, like, did it. Like, you know, that gift of desperation. It was just so painful. I just would want to do do anything like they say to, to, to get abstinent. Um, so that's kind of part of the stuff with, with, uh, with uh, I think, getting abstinent. It's not so much that I'm doing it myself, but the pain of it really brought me, you know, to, to the willingness, I guess, to, to surrender. Um, so... So today, like what I do is, you know, I have definitely morning routine, a strong morning routine, and not everybody has, you know, the privilege or the time to do what I do, but I do have the time, so I put my time into working the program, you know, in the way that I can. So normally when I get up, I need to wake up. <laughs> so I take a shower. That kind of wakes me up, you know. Um, I Now because of Zoom, I go to a lot more meetings. I mean, in person, 
you know, I was meeting probably about three meetings a week at this point to just kind of stay, you know, good. Two meetings is kind of cutting it close for me, so I would always prefer three. So once Zoom started, um, and I even I even went through a period. I told my sponsor, you know, I I don't like going to meetings. Sometimes they seem clicky to me. They seem this way or they seem that way. Uh, and she'd say to me, well, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. And she reminded me, she would remind me, you know, this program, the meetings are not the program. You know, your relationship with your higher power and you're working the big book, you know, finding that higher power, that's what it's about. And fortunately, I think I've changed with some of that. I mean, I like the Zoom meetings now a lot more. And I've come to treat the meetings differently. Like, I have my regular meetings that I go to. I try to be of service at those meetings. Um, and then the other meetings, I kind of like, you know, I'm kind of more now of a morning person than I was, you know, before. But I love to get up early, um, take a shower. If, you know, I've got things going. I'll do that. I'm, uh, you know, exercise is another thing for me that's really important. And I, I really, like, realize it because it's like, it, it feels to me like it's like my taking my medicine, like going to exercise is like taking my medicine. And I am not, you know, bulimically, you know, oriented or exercising like that. It's the exercise helps me on, with my mind, helps me clear my mind. And, you know, so much of this disease at this point is about my mind. And how do I deal with my mind? And how do I recognize what's going on in my mind? You know, all of these things. Um, and, you know, just about a show... A show a shout out to, you know, being abstinent, right? I mean, abstinence is a tool. Abstinence is a tool of the program. It's not the program. And so usually, like, when I'm working with somebody and if they're having problems with their food, um, you know, I would say, you know, it, it, it seems like you get more recovery if you're abstinent and you're working the steps because there's more clarity. But... Like I said, when I first came in, I didn't get abstinent right away. And so what happened was, actually, as I was going to say, this person came up from the L.A. meeting to, to speak in, in Santa Barbara, and I was not abstinent. And this guy said, if you're not abstinent, just start working the steps, and you'll get abstinent. Now, thank God for that. You know, now I can see it both ways. Um, you know, if, if we are really powerless over food, how are we just going to decide to be absent and then start working the steps? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. But it did make sense to me. You know, get your, get your motivations in the right place. You go to meetings. Get a sponsor. Read the literature. Make phone calls. Like, do all of that, even if you're eating. And so that's what I did. I started doing that. And somehow... Eventually, that got me to a place of, I guess, being abstinent. And so now, when I speak of, you know, being abstinent, it's more in the sense of, yes, it's a tool that's helping me to recover. And my recovery is about leaving that self-hatred, obsession, despair, you know, all of that for a better life. And, you know... That's that's really how it shifted. Um, so in terms of getting my head in the right space, um, you know, I get up in the morning, I do my shower, I do my meditation, I do my exercise. Um, probably within the last, you know, 
over COVID, a couple of years over COVID, I went through the steps again, so I'm not actively looking at any particular step. But I read the big book a couple of pages every day, and I meditate. Um, And this really helps me. Um, You know, as, as people say, and as I've heard, you know, it's, 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 you know, don't get in the ring with the food, you know, because I'm always going to lose doing that. So part of that means try, you know, don't pick up those alcoholic foods. Just, you know, being abs- don't, don't pick those up. Um, so going back just to, to what I'm saying about my morning routine and where I am with that is... You know, I believe after, after having worked the steps, you know, different times, that the last time I went through them, something different happened, something changed for me. Say I had been in program already for maybe 30 years, 32 years or something, and I had been abstinent in the sense that I wasn't really using, I wasn't eating recreational sugar, I wasn't really doing that, but... I really wasn't completely free either. There was still a lot of kind of negotiating with some of the foods or trying to use foods. Like, you know, I went through, you know, like a lot of, you know, the whole like sugar-free, you know, things. And I love that, you know, if it walks like a duck, it looks like a duck, quacks like it, it's probably like a duck. So, (laughs) you know, I don't don't eat sugar-free, you know, food now. Um... But it was interesting for me to kind of see that and note that, yes, I had been in the program for a long time. I had been absent for a long time from the foods, but I didn't have the recovery that over the last maybe two or three years that I feel like I have now. And, you know, that's a great call out to, you know, keep coming back because it gets better. It sounds like what I see with some people, for some people, it's very immediate. They get it. For other people, maybe not so as much. You know, it's more of a gradual thing. And I almost feel like almost sometimes a little embarrassed to say, God, I've been in program 36 years. And like, well, well, now, probably just over the last two or three years, do I have a sense of the recovery that is different from what I had before, which was the recovery of not using the food. But I love this part in the big book that talks about, you know, we leaned on reason too far. We were coming to the shore, and we leaned on reason too far, and we couldn't quite jump ashore. We couldn't. And I thought that really described me. Um, I wanted something logical, you know, that made sense to me. Like, I don't want to turn my will and my life over to God that I don't know, or I don't understand, or I don't trust, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, the figuring it out stuff, it, it had, didn't really work that well for me. So something happened... Um, actually, uh, I got sick and I was in the hospital for about 10 days or so. And when I got out of the hospital, something was different. I knew I couldn't use food. I always knew I couldn't use food. But this time, it was a different kind of trust where I knew that I needed to have three meals a day. That made sense to me. And I want to say, when I first came in and I was trying to get abstinent, I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know what to eat. So I just thought logically to myself, well, a bowl of cereal and milk seems like a breakfast. A sandwich and a piece of fruit seems like a lunch. And, you know, whatever dinner. It was just more of like a logical kind of working through things. 
But this time, more recently, I'm saying when I got out of the hospital, there was a part of me that knew I needed to eat three meals a day and some snacks. But I just couldn't, I had to trust that those meals were going to be enough. And that that's what it was. It was going to be enough. And now, like I said, I really love my meals. And having that change of not so much focus on the food and what am I eating, what can I eat, to I'm eating and what is God's will for me in my day? You know, what do I need to do? And um, I make a schedule for myself every night, the night before, um, and I try to follow it, and I know my meals are going to happen, and I am much more now than ever before really seeking to understand how can I be of service, okay? Now, I didn't really used to think that way, and I don't probably always think that way now, but predominantly I'm thinking about that and it's even the littlest things you know it says like in the big book we were self-centered and self-seeking so that's changed for me I'm sure I still have those kinds of things that come up but I have to you know deal with them when they come up but the 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 focus for me now is a lot more bless you um on um the service aspect of things and even in the littlest ways uh, in my family. So I'm married. I've been married for 28 years. That's really nice, and it's really difficult. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I have a daughter who's 23 who's living with us also because of COVID and, you know, the extension. And so that's also, you know, challenging. Um, but what I want to say a little bit about service was it, it, it's not always like the big service things. What it is is in my mind that I'm thinking, I want to be of service. Like looking, where can I be of service? Like, oh, the dish rack is full. I got to empty the dish rack. You know, or the laundry needs to be folded. Okay, I'll fold the laundry. You know, these are not natural things for me, really. <laughs> you know, I really want to do my my way and my my thing. But but that's changed in my family and it's really changed for me in my program. Meaning that I really want to try to help the compulsive overeater who's suffering, who's still suffering. Because um, so I realize that to a certain degree, like what I have, I feel like it's a miracle. I feel like I'm a different person. I feel like I want to be able to carry the message of hope and recovery that we don't have to compulsively overeat. There is work that goes into it for sure. I do a lot of work. Um, and... To some degree, I don't know why, you know, I've been graced in some way with this abstinence, with this sense of wanting to be of service. Um, And for whatever reason, other people are working the program too, and maybe they don't get it, and I don't know why. Um, You know, a lot of it probably does have to come down to what is the relationship that I'm trying to have and creating with my higher power. So... Some of the work, a lot of the work that I've done has been about how can this power be friendly to me? I mean, how can I not be afraid? Like, thy will be done shouldn't be mean a bad thing. You know, thy will be done is like a good thing. 
right? So um, I have a name. When I was going through the third step, I thought, I need to find a name for my higher power that works for me, that I can turn to. And I tried all these different names, all these different names. And what came to me, the name was Grace. Grace, because grace is the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. And that's what I need. I need to know that I am loved no matter what. By God. Not by my husband, because he won't do that. You know? <laughs> you know, that's just the way human beings are. Um, and I added to that, at some point, mysterious. Like, say, mysterious grace. Because I've seen, as I go through my life, and I let go of so much control. Like, my, my goal now, my way of being, is like, I want to show up in my life, and see what happens, you know, because my my thinking about what's going to happen definitely is not always the way that it happens. I mean, so m- the mysterious part came to me when I was realizing that, you know, I'm not in control. Things don't always go my way, and sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it's a great thing that happens when I'm not trying to control. So, you know, I think I'm prob- probably coming to the end of my time pretty soon. Yeah? Okay. Um, So, I work on not controlling things by diligently going through the on awakening prayer every morning. And I I was going to bring it because I wanted to share with you what I had done with it, but I was having coffee with my husband. <laughs> and I forgot. I didn't have time to go home and get it. But but what it is is that I've gone through those directions. And that's another thing I say to people I work with and to myself. You know, the book book, the big book's not a novel. The big book is like a documentary. It's like you gotta get into it, you gotta read it, you gotta study it, you gotta make it uh proactive, not reactive, you know, learn from it. So this particular portion of the big book has been so instrumental for me in these last two or three years. You know, what I've done is I've gone through it, and you can see very clearly, if you look at it, there are things that we ask of God, and there are things that God does. And so I broke it down like that, and in the morning, I I read through it, you know, I go through, you know, God, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and then what I need to do, and then what God needs to do. And I incorporated where it talks about we relax and take it easy. I pause. I memorize the acceptance piece from the big book because I heard somebody else had memorized it, and I heard her say it when she was leading a meeting. I thought, wow, that's great. You know, I, it would really be helpful for me. So I memorized it, and then I say it, you know, in the morning. Um, and, you know, the program talks about the mental, the physical, and the spiritual, okay? It doesn't talk about the emotional. The emotional, I don't hear the word emotional, you know, in the big book. So for me, a lot of my emotions, my reactions, my, you know, whatever, comes from my thinking, right? So I need to be aware of my thinking to be able to deal with it. So basically... I think, what I like to think has happened, and I don't know if this is the case or not, you know, after working through the steps, right, like, and I told you a number of times, I got that, you know, the first nine steps for me are about reconciling the past 
getting the past in the past where the past belongs, not the past in the future, not the past right now, that the past has happened and that I can be okay with that. And so now, right, in steps 10, 11, 12, I'd say kind of the more, you know, the kind of maintenance things, is the idea that the past is in its place and now I'm in current time. I live in current time, which is challenging. I really try not to get into future time. I try not to get into that and think about that. I'm not, you know, obsessed about the past and that. So I am awake now. I'm awake in present time, interacting and acting and reacting to people and stimulus that comes up in my life. And I have the capacity now to be serene a lot of the time. And when I'm not, I know I'm off. I know something has happened to trigger me. And I need to look at that. And sometimes I look at it more immediately, and sometimes maybe not so immediate. But eventually, I'm mean, going to have to get around to that. Because, you know, you know, we talk a lot, you know, in the step 12 about being happy, joyous, and free. And I love when we read that, you know, in the um, 12 and 12, when, in, in our step study meetings. Because what it always says to me, the joy of living, it's not joy. It's of living. And so, like, what is living? Living is so many things. And the joy of it is that I'm not compulsively overeating. I'm going to feel the feelings, whatever they are. You know, my mom died of Alzheimer's in Jan- just past January. I was with her. It was spiritual. I was present. Um, miracle. Just a miracle. Um, you know, I have other things that go on, but I really do work hard at trying to stay present. I think that's probably the biggest thing at this point um, in my program that I concentrate on, to recognize my thoughts. And my meditation has helped me be able to live with my thoughts. So I, it's a skill. I mean, I've meditated for a while. It's something that um, has helped me be able to see the thoughts that are happening See, some thoughts are not that great. You know, don't go down that road. You know, other thoughts seem to be a bit better. Like, I really like from that, um, from the uh, unawakening, we ask for the right thought or action. We ask for the right thought or action, or we ask for inspiration, intuitive thought, or a decision. Those things, most of the time, help me get centered. Looking at that and trying to, you know, do get centered. Um... The other thing, too, is just about, you know, having compassion. So when I finish my meditation, I usually say the loving-kindness prayer. And it's a prayer that is, I didn't make it up, it's a, it's a, a prayer that people say that do this kind of meditation. And part of it is about receiving and giving loving-kindness to myself, to know that I'm safe, to know that I'm well, to know that I'm at ease. And I practice that so that I'm telling myself the messages that I need to hear. You know, not the critical messages, not the judgmental messages. And I try to be as loving as I can. You know, and I have issues, I have core issues that they come up, you know, and I've got to deal with them. Some things that get me into a real panic. And I have to, you know, know who to reach out to, Sometimes program people, sometimes not. 
One thing I want to say, I always forget to say this. I'm going to end right with this, thank you, is that we talk about, you know, the steps and how important they are. I think for me, myself, I would not have this recovery if I did not have outside help as well. Some of the pain that I have, that I think, I believe that we have, comes real, really hard, really painful. And I needed help, help to deal with that, and I need the steps to help me deal with my food. So, thank you. Now time for our seventh tradition. While we have no dues or fees, we do have expenses for this meeting.